got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expenses, cause when is expensive. I got expenses, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the war. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah, cause when it rain, then it pours. Hey, welcome to this episode of Put That Coffee Down. This is Kevin Hill. I'm your host, and this is a freight sales show for closers here on Freight Waves. And I have a very special guest here with me today. We're going to talk about entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about sales. We're going to talk probably a little bit about double brokering as well. And um, accidentally having those those moments of, of, wow, this is an accident, but this is working. Let's go with it. So I got Jason Rabin here. He's a founder of Low Boy Industries. Yes, sir. And Jason, you want to uh, to, to do your intro from here? Yeah. Um, appreciate the invite. Always love to talk ship. Um, I talk ship all day long anyway. And so if we can put it out there in a recorded form and, and let it kind of live in infancy forever on the Internet, I'm all about it. Um, I am the uh, founder and owner of Max Freight Lines. Uh, we're a 3PO, we're a freight brokerage. And my son and I uh, co-founded uh, Low Boy Industries. And so we are a apparel company that is transportation themed with a side of patriotism. So we're, if it were a college course, we would be majoring in transportation with a minor in patriotism. That's awesome. Yeah. Major in transportation, minor in patriotism. Yes, sir. And uh, what came first, the, the, the brokerage or the, the clothing oh, line? Yeah. The brokerage. The brokerage. The, the clothing line came just out of accident, out of chance, out of just, you know, the, the meme situation on the internet is so relevant right now. And I'm very creative. And so for me, having. Um, so much influence on the internet with with memes and videos and i just kind of took that and thought what a bunch of cool ideas you could make into t-shirts and then as i thought about it i kind of moved away from the memes and i just i I went strictly towards there are very pointed um topics we can talk about that are relevant to brokers carriers shippers the whole nine and so um I've been a broker for 10 years. It's in my DNA. You know, my business is on autopilot, if you will. So, yeah, um, I've been selling freight for a decade and I love what I do. Uh, I, I own my own company. I am my own boss. I get to, uh, like they say, make my own rules. Um, and I kind of reverse engineered all of the pain points of the big box 3PLs of the industry in and itself all of the problems that shippers would complain about, all of the problems that carriers would complain about, but that no one person would take all and bundle into an all-in-one solution, right? Um, And so I started Max Freight on my own March of last year, had a very successful year. One random day driving home with my son, he tells me, a Marine recruiter came to school today and I'm very interested. I think I'm gonna join the Marines. And I had a proud, proud dad moment. You know, my mm-hmm. family is very patriotic. A lot of the uh, older generation in my family, brothers, uncles, you know, stepdad, everybody, they were all service members. I wasn't. I had a problem with authority when I was younger. So I was not <laughs> the most ideal candidate. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But, 
you know, when my son came home and said, look, I can travel. Um, I can go to school and learn something I want for and, and get paid for it. And then when I get out of the military, if I, if I only do it for a few years, now I have a stepping stone. I've got options. I've got financing. I mean, it, it was just, he was selling me on the idea while inside I just, my, my joy just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until I hit that mental roadblock where I went, hey, wait a minute. We all know that patriots who go to war or see action who come home statistically are at a disadvantage in terms of their mental health and, and leading a successful life after the service. Then I started really digging in. And then, so the number is 22 a day, they say, that that take their lives, right? Reality is it's probably closer to 40, right? And that number is 20 or 40 too high. Mm-hmm. And so here I am looking at my beautiful son who I adore. He's my firstborn. I, I'm proud of him. We're in this patriotic moment. And then I, I think of the what if, the, the backside of it. And so the t-shirt idea just kind of came about. And I said, okay, son, so here's what we're going to do. I'm an entrepreneur. I want to teach you the entrepreneur side of things that I know. Um, We're going to go into business 50-50. I'll run the business. You go to school. But I want you to learn everything that there is about what it is, what it means to be a service member, right? More than anything, I want you to understand how these men and women are treated when they come home and do some research. I asked them to write me a paper. I said, I want an essay. I want you to, to go learn without me pointing you in the right direction. And a week later, he came back to me and he looked a little, you know, disheveled, like, whoa, dad. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we formed the company and I made him the vice president of veteran outreach. His sole purpose is to just learn what's happening in the veteran community, learn what programs are available that are working and are not working and stay current on trends and Find companies and organizations that are a nonprofit that are out there trying to help and find a way for us to be a part of that. And that's what led to our partnership with Flanders Fields. Um, Ben Owens and his wife, Jessica, are absolute heroes. Um, Ben is a a war hero. And when he came home, he was almost one of those statistics. And he, uh, by the grace of God, found his way out of the situation he was in and He turned around and said, I can't leave my brothers behind. And so he leads a very successful uh, data mining company, sales marketing for the the Pew Pew space, you know, the 2A Mm -hmm. space. But in his free time, he is out in the streets, shaking hands, meeting people, offering help, pulling people out of situations that he was once in. And I just admire him so much. And so when Nick and I found this company, I said, all right, Nick, here's your first task reach out to him and ask him if we can partner with them and if we can sell some t-shirts and donate a part of our profit to his organization and support him. And here we are. And so we sell t-shirts, we help veterans uh, fight uh, homelessness, addiction, suicide. Um, And it feels good. You know, it, it really feels good to be a part of something so special. And for me, I was homeless at one point in my life, not as a veteran. And I know how I felt living on the street. I can only imagine how I would have felt living on the street, knowing that I served my country. And so it hits really, really close to home. And so that's kind of where... Donate 15 
15, right? Fifteen percent. Yeah. Um, I see on the website uh, of your of your apparel yep. sells to the, the the foundation. Yes, sir. And when did you start that? Um, the week before Black Friday, so mid November. Okay. And so, how is that? How's running an apparel company? How 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 is that different from being a freight broker? Um. It's different in the sense that I, I have to market uh, clothing. <laughs> I, I have spent 10 years building my brand as a freight broker. So my reputation as a freight broker is what it is because there's substance to it. Um, being somebody in the marketing space for apparel, very different, very, very different. But what it's done for me is it's it's kind of scratched a um, creative niche I didn't know I, I had. And I'm the type that once I get into something, I go down the rabbit hole. And so now I'm learning about SEO. I'm learning about conversion rates and and website optimization and all kinds of really, really neat things. And here's the crazy part. This turned from a side hustle to a business very quickly. Mm -hmm. So initially, we started the company using a drop shipper where we carried no inventory. Um, The markups are a little bit less on my end, but I didn't have to carry overhead. Once I ran the first eight weeks worth of numbers and saw this was a sustainable business model, I went out and bought equipment and now we self-manufacture. And so what that does for me is, you know, I'm in logistics. It allows me to control the supply chain. Mm-hmm. It allows me to be more profitable, but it allows me to, to that 15% goes a lot farther now. So the amount of money that I can give back is tripled now, essentially. So, you know, it was a no brainer for us. How many SKUs do you have now? Um, I have 126 items up on the store. Wow. I, yeah. I know. I, I saw there, there's a lot there's of a items. There's a ton. And we're going to scale it back. I mean, um, I have a thousand hats sitting in my living room right now that I just got. Our patches are being made. I have a hat press here in the house. I'm doing custom hat orders, custom t-shirt orders. I'm probably going to scale it down to less than 50 on the t-shirts and about 25 hats and just kind of leave it at that. And then we'll do a rotate every six weeks, what sells we keep. And we'll just kind of rotate the new stuff in. Um, but that's another interesting part is what sells? There's no rhyme or reason on what sells. The stuff that I would have thought wouldn't have sold have sold the most of. And so I'm kind of learning the analytics in terms of that, which is a lot of fun. Um, the scary part is with drop shipping, you don't have to worry about what sells and what doesn't. People order it, it ships. So in controlling the manufacturing now, I have blanks and I'm still going to print on demand. I'm just not going to print, you know, a hundred of each. So I, I mitigate my risk by buying in bulk, but I just, I'm only going to print as people order. And so I can kind of toy with ideas of what works and what doesn't. And if it doesn't sell, I don't have a bunch of inventory that I can't get rid of that I took a loss on. Because that's a, that's the biggest risk uh, in apparel really is 100%. sitting on inventory. Hundred percent, absolutely. And I'm an online store. It's not like I have to print them and sell them in a retail store. Mm-hmm. Now, the growth strategy is go to uh, trucking shows, gun shows, flea markets. Get out there and sell in person. Um, I love people, and I want to go to uh, Matt's. I want to. I'm trying to get a booth at Matt's so I can mm-hmm. go out, and shake hands with the truckers. And just have a presence and be in the space with everybody that I admire. You know, if I sold zero shirts at that show, being that I'm a broker, I'm still around my people. Yes. Right. And so for me, there's brand awareness, but I'm just in the right environment. You know, I, 
I kid all the time, but trucking's in my DNA. This is where I was supposed to be. So it's just a matter of finding the different verticals within the space that I can optimize my skills for, right? So, how long has uh, Max Freightlines been been around? So Max Freightlines opened in March of 2022. So we're coming up on our our one year. One year. Uh, company's very healthy. We've got independent agents across the country that work for us. We're an agent based model. Um, I found out real early in my corporate career, I was not a very good leader of men. I, I just managing other people was difficult, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard enough to manage myself and I'm good at that, but now I have to manage expectations and, and responsibilities of eight, 10, 15 other people. So when I started my own company, I actually had no desire to have agents whatsoever. I just wanted to be a one man band and do everything. And I did very well people started coming to me and asking, Hey, are you hiring agents? And when enough people asked, I just kind of looked at it and said, well, how can I make that work? Right. I don't have any overhead. Um, it mitigates a lot of my risk. I just have to support them with their tech stack and their back, you know, back end financial stuff, marketing stuff. But it's turned out to be, um, everything I thought it would be in more. And, uh, I'm Is that in a good way or a bad way in a, in a great way. In a great <laughs> good. Way. The, the cool thing is I get to choose who I work with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they come to me. I'll put a post out here and there. Okay. But a lot of it is people will see who I am on LinkedIn and they either like who and what I am or they don't. Customers are the same way. Customers will reach out to me and say, listen, I resonate with who you are as a person. I want to do business with you. And that that's a warm lead. So for mm-hmm. me, my, my agent leads are warm leads and I have a very low attrition rate when it comes to my agents. I mean, it's like 5%. So that tells me something's working. So we're, we're looking to scale. I'd like to see 50 agents by the end of the year. That's aggressive. I don't do anything uh, slow. It's listen, the lights could turn out tomorrow. We're, we're only mm-hmm. here for a short period of time. So optimize and, and press fast forward. Let's go. You know? Yeah, no, right, right. I mean, what's the worst that, that can happen, right? Hey, what's the worst that can happen? You have to map that out. What's, what's the worst that can happen? And if you can accept that, that, that worst case scenario, which is usually not that bad of a scenario. No, I mean, I have agents. If the agency doesn't work out, I'm still my own broker. I have my own book of business. I don't rely at all on agent revenue. It's a bonus. Mm-hmm. They keep the majority of it anyway. So if an agent writes business, they make money. If they don't write business, it doesn't cost me any money. I'm still covering my own freight, looking for customers. So my bread and butter is my book of business. Everything else is gravy. And so when you look at it like that, if it fails, what did I do to make it fail? I wasn't really an integral part of it unless the framework to support the agents was a failure. But at this growth rate, it looks like it's you know trending in the right direction. So as long as we keep adapting with the market and, and the employment needs, I think we'll be fine. You know? What, so uh, we were talking about before we hit record about uh, the, the apparel business mixing into the, the, the brokerage business of being free advertisement because you're selling apparel to truckers that you're selling freight to. Yes. That just happened on accident, right? So I, I'm known in the LinkedIn space as a freight broker. So to sell T-shirts that are um, transportation related only seemed reasonable, right? And so Mm -hmm. as it progressed, I started to realize I'm selling T-shirts to truck drivers who are also people who are hauling freight for me, 
And those truck drivers live in their truck and walk around truck stops all day long. And all they're doing is showing off that shirt to other truck drivers, right? So Mm -hmm. you go buy a Nike shirt and go to the mall. Not everybody there is looking at at looking for a Nike shirt. But if you wear a transportation shirt that says F cheap freight and you're walking around to loves, it's going to grab attention. And so it wasn't by design. It was by accident. But I'll take an accidental win all day long, all day long. So, you know, there's a lot of cross promotion there. There, there is. So there's a lot of cross uh, cross promotion and, uh, you know, going through the website and looking at apparel. We'll talk about double brokering now. Uh, you have a, a very original F double brokers uh, T-shirt that I might just buy here once we get off the, the, the recording uh, because I do like it. And it's something that's it's a strong message, isn't it? It's, it's a right very strong point. Very strong message, and it's something that has – it's always been around. Right. It's always been around. It was around sure. 10 years ago whenever I started. Yep. Um, but I think it's it's become more organized. I was on a podcast. I was, I was talking to somebody not not long ago. It's become more organized over the last yeah. two or three years. I mean, oh, it's, sure. it's gone from isolated people doing this to, to almost like organized gangs. Oh, I can uh, assure you. In. I can assure you it's very organized. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know for a fact that it is overseas. I'm going to leave it at that. Let's just say that there is dirty money on the back end funding a lot of this. And let's face it, if I were a criminal and I'm not, but if I, I like to reverse engineer things, if mm-hmm. I were a criminal, double brokering freight's not hard. It's not hard. Not hard at all. It's not one of the easiest things to do, actually. 100%. And listen, if you double broker my load and you put it on a rail and you make 500 extra bucks and I lose a customer, what's the end of the world? Nothing. The mm-hmm. real problem is giving access to pickup numbers and BOLs and shipping locations. You can duplicate that stuff and slide in and steal freight because people aren't paying attention. And so if you double broker my load and it costs me some money, no problem. It is what it is. We'll call it a cost of business. But the minute one of my loads gets stolen and it's a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars worth of freight, and insurance companies start getting involved and they start looking at the, the verbiage in their contracts going, This isn't covered, I'm writing a check. I'm going mm-hmm. out of business. Carriers are going out of business. That's where the real concern is, is is the theft. You know? It is. It's the, the theft and and the fact that you can it's publicly available information to, to right. steal the identity of carriers. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, it's I like personally... MC numbers or that's what you need. You need the MC number. You need a phone. You need yep. an email address that is somewhat similar to the, the yep. real email address. Yep. And you have a scam on your hands. I got hit for $30,000 two summers ago, mm. personally. And my compliance team wasn't up to par. And a carrier called and got set up and they pretended to be a carrier on the up and up. We put it through all of the compliance channels and there were no red flags. Carrier 411 said good. Inspections were good. The problem is the person on the other line didn't work for that company. Yep. Okay. And so the, the biggest problem that I have is as a trucking company, if you have a Gmail email address, you're, you're allowing for this stuff to happen. Yes. It costs you five bucks to get a domain name and protect yourself. But the minute you have a Gmail address, there's no way for anybody to tell that one digit off in an in a email that looks similar is not on the up and up, right? And so your due diligence, yes, I should have picked up the phone and called the company and verified this name and email were legit, okay? Should have. I didn't. They ended up taking three loads for me. 
Um, they called for a quick pay. We paid them. All is well. They disappeared. No problem. Happens all the time. Three months mm-hmm. later, the original three carriers who never got paid hired a lawyer by the name of Baxter, who is famous in this space. Yeah. He yeah. sent letters to all three of those customers. Those customers called Jason and said, WTF. Okay. And so now the customers are upset. I lost the account. Come to find out what the carrier that I hired did was they paid triple the market rate. So not only did I pay the market rate times three, which I'll never see again, I had to pay triple the market rate on these other three loads and I lost the business. So mm-hmm. and it's wild. It's, it's absolutely wild. And there's not much you can do. And then you, you have highway. Highway mm-hmm. is a program that would have prevented all of that. And so in demoing Highway with Mr. Reed, not even two weeks ago, I'm fascinated. It's long overdue. And as far as I'm concerned, any TMS that doesn't partner with them is doing the industry a disservice. And I didn't pay you to, to, to say that whatsoever. A hundred percent did not. And listen, I, I don't promote products regularly, but if I could tell every person listening if you don't know about highway, sit down with somebody and learn about it. It will protect you on the compliance piece. Because when me and my agents are looking through carrier 411 and all of this data, right, we might miss something that's not on that screen. Highway has built you know, redundancies within its framework that will weed all that stuff out. And so I'm human. We're, we're apt to human error. Highway kind of is that backup. It is because it's, it's tough to all the loopholes in it yeah. and, and going through and doing the original carrier list um, and working with the FMCSA information and calling all the carriers and having that data and, and knowing certainly that portion of it. It is amazing. I mean, I, because I kept on going back to my call team and saying, OK, you guys got to get better email addresses for these carriers who run 40, 50, 60 trucks because yeah. they shouldn't have Gmail accounts. Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah, they do, you yeah. know, and, and not just, you know, X, Y, Z carrier at gmail.com. It's just something completely random. Yeah. And you at have gmail.com. Right and the only way and that's what they're, they're giving. That's the email they're actually giving out to in, in business. And well, when, you go to carrier, copy? when you're on carrier 411, you could see the initial email address that mm-hmm. was filed. 90% of them are Gmail. Yeah. The, the craziest thing is I'm, I'm a data absorber. The majority of them don't even have the company's name in the email. And like you said, no. it's just some random stuff. Some of the times, let's say ABC Trucking is calling me. Sometimes the Gmail address will say H&H Logistics. It's something yeah. completely different. And, um, and, and right then and there, it's a red flag for me. But it's like, how do you tell? Maybe they were H&H and they became this new company. Like there, there's just that mm-hmm. gap in information I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't set up carriers with Gmail addresses. If you can't right. afford a it's domain, dangerous. if you can't it afford a dangerous. domain, it's just, it's not for me. Well, it's, it's amazing that, you know, like you have your owner operators, two, three, two trucks, three trucks, four trucks. They have a Gmail account. Mm-hmm. Okay. I Some of them it. have AOL accounts. Listen, um, you, <laughs> and I don't worry about the AOL accounts because those guys are so old school. They don't know how to scam you. <laughs> Gmail know, right? is the scam, right? So it's like, ah. I know. But, but I'm talking about 40, 50, 60 truck fleets yeah. that are still giving me Gmail accounts. Yeah. You know, Dispatch 1 at, uh, Dispatch one at X, Y, and G. Yeah. Or Dispatch 1 X, Y, Z carrier at gmail.com. I'm like, this is insane. 
Yeah. And listen, do you want to know how to combat it? Uh, you're no longer allowed to, to register a, a motor carrier company with a Gmail, period. Yeah. Solves that problem right now. Right now. No, no common email. You need to have a domain name. And listen, yeah. at the end of the day, they would just go and start, you know, domain names. But at least you're making it more difficult for them. Right. You are. You know, I mean, $6 a month or $5 a month yeah. and for a Gmail account. Yeah. So, you know, it's just there's there's a lot of tools that are at our disposal, but they are getting smarter and smarter and smarter quicker than we are getting hip to the new practices. So, yeah. And that's why I'm vocal online is if something happened to me today, right now, I want to tell the people on LinkedIn or Twitter so that if one other person could catch them and save some money mm -hmm. and it made it harder for them, great, great. Yeah, so. because it is. I think that's one of the most prevalent scams right now is just I, you know, pure identity theft, right? Oh, you're, sure. you're taking someone's MC number, you're calling on the yep. load boards, you're you're booking the freight, you're hiring a carrier. Yep. That load's going to get delivered. You're going to get the money, and then you're gone. Right. You vanish. Well, here's the other thing too: is so traditional double brokering was somebody took your freight, didn't pay the other carrier, and they took your money. Yeah. Now it's a matter of we're going to take your freight and just find a cheaper carrier and make the margin and keep trying to do it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. The third part of it is the theft, the cargo theft. A carrier calls you, takes your rate confirmation, and then 10 minutes later hands that load back, but now they have your BOL. They can generate a new BOL and, and PO, you know, PO number, scoot in there an hour before. If that customer doesn't require knowing what carrier is coming in, and let's face it, most don't, everybody's at risk. And then here's the kicker. This is the one where I'm just like, okay, it's the the trucking companies and brokers that are working in cahoots together by the hundreds. There is a back channel network that is wild. And what this is how I'll explain it. The other day I pulled an MC. It looked great. There were no mm -hmm. double brokering notes. I said, fine. But the minute that I see related companies, I have a question. The first thing I always check is the phone number. That yep. phone number was registered to 263 other companies. Not one, not two, not mm -hmm. 10, almost 300. Every single one of those companies underneath it had freight cards. So yep. there's always going to be a face to the front. The more sophisticated it gets, the harder it is to identify. So, I mean, listen, if you're playing the long game, pick the load up with your own, own truck. Make sure everything looks good for the first 10, 15 loads. Now nobody's looking for that stuff. But mm -hmm. then they're taking your data and they're sharing it on a WhatsApp channel on the on the back channels. You know, it's like they're getting smarter than we are. Mm -hmm. And we're the problem is we're not doing anything to make it hard for them. There's no forced compliance. You know, something that recently came out was a carrier or a broker ran up a million dollars in freight bills, kept all the money and didn't pay the carriers. What good is that seventy five thousand dollar bond? Uh, Nine hundred twenty five thousand yeah. dollars worth of money didn't get spread out to other companies. I can assure you some of those companies had to go out of business because of that. And I'll tell you what, that same owner or ownership group or whatever had 10 other MC numbers already primed in the background to just start again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. What What's the answer here? What do you do? Because highway can't protect you from that. Yeah, no one can protect you from that. And 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 certainly no regulations can either because, you know, you – it's such a slow process to do anything. They're, they're just now looking into this problem yep. uh, and comments, and it'll be years before any teeth get nailed to, to anything, and, and by then the, the 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 game will change. 
So here's the problem, though. The minute that the government wants your money, that happens overnight. The minute you want to help you prevent somebody from stealing your money, it's a 10-year process. Funny how that works. So it's sad that we have to spend our own money developing systems in place to protect ourselves, which are just a Band-Aid. I mean, listen, highway is great. It's a Band-Aid. It's 100% Band-Aid because there's no telling that somebody who's on the up and up working for a company isn't also selling your data to his buddy down the road. So while that MC is primo, you don't know who's who's selling access to that data. Here's one thing I'll give TQL credit for. You book a load with TQL, you don't get the PO until an hour before you pick up the load mm-hmm. and call for dispatch. That is a fantastic proactive way in terms of compliance to prevent theft, right? It, and it so, is. The, and, but it's a pain in the butt. Let's call it what it is. That's a lot of extra yeah. work. But it, I guarantee that their theft is marginal compared to everybody else. So I, I will give them credit in terms of how they run that process. It's a great process. Not everybody can do it, though. Yeah, are, are shippers looking, uh, or, or I, I, well, are shippers looking more for uh, truck and trailer numbers now, or is that more? Yeah. Are brokers looking for that more? Because I, you know, that's something that we I, I never really did as broker. Neither did I. And you know what? How you could give me your truck and trailer number. How do I know it's legit? Yeah. You, okay, so you could give me a phone number to uh, a, a driver. He could be some dude in the other room on his cell phone. You don't, you don't really know. And so while tracking, you know, the, the GPS tracking to your phone is, it's one way to really nail that down. The other way is, listen, if you are who you say you are, you have an ELD with tracking in it, I want access to it. It, it mitigates that entire risk. And yeah. then you don't have to worry about um, a, a driver saying, hey, I don't feel comfortable having my... Uh, phone tracked because let's face it, the, the good old boys, they don't want that. That's just, yeah, the good old boys aren't having it. And it is what it is. And then what happens when you have carriers that don't speak English? You can't even get them to turn that thing on because they don't understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so you run into these constant roadblocks of why the compliance can't happen. But if the carriers have an ELD with tracking logged into it, everybody can have access to it. I mean, that that's another piece that I think is super important. The problem is, Tracking isn't used for that. It's used as data points for shippers. It's not used as a protector of their freight. It's used as a a data generator. And Mm -hmm. so if they leaned a little bit more towards the compliance part and maybe made it 50-50 compliance and data, you'd see a little bit, uh, that needle would move a little bit more, you know? Yeah, it would. It, it definitely would. Um, on, on the sell side, I mean, how are sales this year compared to the last couple years? Um, more challenging environment? That depends on who you talk to. Yeah. Everybody has a different answer. Everybody has a different different business model. Um, everybody said Q1 is slow, the freight market. I just had a record month in revenue. So a lot of it is relationships. If you're chasing you know, the spot market transactional freight one-offs. Okay. But if you've had eight or 10 years of relationships with people who understand the cyclical market, you know, nature, I don't have that us versus them problem. Mm. My carriers, I would say 90% of my carriers and customers don't have that conversation. Well, shippers have the leverage. You got to pay for it. Carriers have the leverage. You have to pay for it. When I onboard a customer, I say, look, there's going to be ups and downs. Let's find the sweet spot, right? That's planning for a rainy day. 
you're going to make extra money here, but spend a whole lot here. There's no way to forecast if you're going to come out on the top end or the bottom end. So let's be the house, right? Think of a casino. Let, let's just be the house where you're guaranteed to make your little 10% times everybody, mm-hmm. right? And so the odds are in your favor if you just stay in the middle. So for me personally, it's been growth month after month. And this last month was a record month. I have a friend who's about to go out of business and he owns a brokerage. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of it is there's so many variables. His customers are having financial trouble. My customers, I try to stay within the food industry because one of my first bosses told me if food is recession proof, I don't care how poor you are, you still have to eat. And even if you don't have money, somebody's giving you food stamps. So I try to stay within that space that doesn't have that volatility to it. Mm-hmm. So for me, dry canned goods, that's my home run. You know, okay. so, I was about to, that was my next question was, what do you specialize in? Or do you have a niche that, yeah. that you go after But the food industry is, food is one industry. of the most popular, yeah. big, well, it's the biggest industry out there because it is the, it is recession proof. And yeah. in a lot of ways, because everyone's going to eat, everyone's got to eat. We're, we're also making more babies than people are dying. So there's more people on the planet now more than ever. So like, it almost seems silly not to stay in a space. Everybody has to eat. Everybody. Yes. So I would say my secondary niche, and I, I, I'm going to give the sauce away here, but I try to stay in claim-proof territory. So yeah. for me, bottles of water. It fits within the food space. Mm-hmm. It's very cheap. It rarely has claims. And if it does, it's so cheap, nobody's charging you back for it. Yeah. Right. And then my second piece is Amazon bubbler envelopes. Amazon ships more than any of the big boys in the world. And those bubbler envelopes are in high demand. And I don't care if you have a hard break or a hard, hard acceleration, you're not damaging an envelope. No. And it's cheap. I mean, it's, it's a poly mailer. It's cents on the dollar. So, you know, it's now that it's my money, right? It's not house money. It's my money. I look at it a little bit more objectively. So. Is a, so, so food industry envelopes, I yeah. mean, those are, are, are slim margin loads probably. Is there an, an art to uh, what well, I would call slim margin because I, I you know, you, you want to be claim proof. I, I was know. always going after the most expensive equipment in, in, oh. in the world because it wasn't my money if there right. was a claim. So. Right. But your insurance as it relates to that, every like I try to get in with a, a chicken shipper. Cool. Mm-hmm. You wanted a five million dollar umbrella policy. That's wild. Yeah. That's nuts. Then when you so go like to your frozen insurance, chickens or live chickens? Live. And the yeah, crazy live. thing is when you go to your insurance company, everybody's so afraid of risk now. The insurance company was like, yeah, we'll write that policy. This is what it costs, and it's exclusive to that customer. Yeah. We're not going to write that as a blanket policy across the board. So every time another customer needed it, I had to, I had to reinitiate that. And that's where you start to understand, okay, big picture-wise – one of my first questions I ask all my agents, tell me what your mixture of modes of transportation is. If any one of my agents comes and says I'm 50% or more temp controlled, it's a hard pass for me. Yeah. The claim the claim to the risk versus reward ratio on temp controlled, it's just, it's scary. Um, and right now with rates being what they are, what's the first thing a trucking company is going to do to save money? They're going to skimp on maintenance. And mm-hmm. so they're going to run start stop instead of continuous. Well, gosh forbid you're one degree over and you run a carrier download and I'm eating a hundred grand worth of avocados because you thought you were going to save $4. 
So I have to be really, really objective about the business that I bring on, but the agents that I bring on and the business that they're bringing with them, because let's call it what it is. It's baggage. I have to Mm -hmm. mitigate their baggage, you know? Yeah. You become responsible for, for what they're moving. So they don't don't realize that till you have that conversation with them. And so when you explain it to them and I say, look, if you were a business owner, right, what's the value on that, that beef 250 grand. Cause it's jerky, right. It's top sirloin. Okay. Well, you know, you hire a carrier with only a hundred grand in insurance because you made a boo-boo and we have a claim. Well, there's $150,000 of the gap there. Where, where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. You know? And so for you as an agent, you could just leave and go do it again tomorrow somewhere else. I'm on the hook for that. Yep. So when I'm hiring people, I'm hiring partners who understand the big picture and some get it, some don't. And I'd rather work with the people that understand why we operate the way that we do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's different decision-making uh, right when you're at the top, right? When, when it's your money, your yeah. risk, uh, you're the manager of those people, right? You're the leader. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's much uh, – they're, they're different questions, different problems, different risks, different challenges that are involved no, in no, your position than the agent's position. I have a few no-no commodities. I won't haul uh, flowers. I won't mm-hmm. haul ice cream. Because you can salvage almost anything, but you can't. If yeah. flowers go bad, see ya. Ice cream goes bad, what are you going to do? And so I'm always looking at the what-if contingency plan. Mm-hmm. And so even when I am running certain um, temp-controlled stuff, berries, no, no. I won't run berries. Just There's just too many things that could happen that go wrong. And so watermelons, sure. Melons, no problem, but... Yeah, and any of the um, berries is a no-no for me. Another risk or challenge, and in, in, in this goes industry to industry, is payment terms. Yes. And, and you know, uh, what do you accept? Or, I mean, what, where, where does it become risky for you? Well, I have a factoring company for that reason. So the first year in business, I chose to use a factoring company for a few reasons. One, I built my business on a carrier-first mentality. And so every carrier that hauls for me gets quick paid in two days, no charge. I don't charge them. There's no reason for me to hold their money up for 20 days. We all know cash is king and cash flow is, is rough as a trucking company owner. Mm-hmm. And every major brokerage uses that quick pay, you know, carrot as a revenue generator. They're going to charge them 3%, 4%, 5%. No. I know for a fact that the quick pay charge is a top five business unit within some of the big brokerages. Like it's its own own customer, Mm -hmm. right? I'm already paying the 3% for my factoring company to write the check anyway. So I just eat it and I pay the carrier. So if I deliver a load, say Monday by Wednesday morning, carriers paid, my agents paid and I'm paid and I don't worry about it. So the reason I did that was that sounded great because now everybody's getting paid right away, but it also Mm -hmm. helped me build credit because that first year, Man, the, nobody tells you how hard it is to establish credit with people because self-funded trucking companies aren't reporting their payments. Shit, I'm going to tell you right now, RTS Financial, they don't even report your credit. They report it in-house. So if 100% of my carriers worked for RTS and I was in business with them for a year, they wouldn't have reported a single payment on, on my behalf for the whole year. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning which factoring companies can and will report and which ones don't. If you're a new broker and you're looking to jump in the business, don't rely only on your outbound payments as as a credit assist. Go get a couple net 30 accounts. 
definitely go to Love's get a fuel card. Go to Uline mm-hmm. and get a net 30 account, you know, just so that you have a little extra protection there. Um, not only that, the 3%, yeah, it stings, but it's better than paying a full-time employee. I don't have to worry about all my finances. It's all done. Yeah. The, I mean, it works out of, you know, pretty comparable, right? Yeah. You're going to do the invoicing or, or someone else's and, yeah. you know, it's, it's going to cost you in, in some some respect, no matter yeah. what you do. Um, and if they make a mistake, it's on them, not me. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the risk mitigation is it's their error. So if they make a mistake, it's their mistake. You know, I don't have to, to write yeah. a check to cover it. And that is one of the things I, I think um, a lot of people get in brokerage, their own brokerage, kind of underestimate in a, in a little bit is working capital needs. You have no idea. I know, right? I mean, it, it's a nightmare, yeah. isn't it? If you are going to self-fund, you need probably six months of capital up front mm-hmm. for all kinds of reasons. Um, you onboard a bunch of new customers and all of a sudden they have different insurance requirements. You're yep. right, Jack, right now. Here's the crazy part. You onboard a customer. They say, before I onboard you, I need this insurance. You, you upgrade your insurance and then you never hear from them again. Cost yep. of business happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So be prepared to be comfortable losing some money. At the end of the day, in a perfect world, all your customers pay you in 30 days. All your trucks get paid in 21 days. You have a 10-day gap where you're poor mm-hmm. every month. And you hope at the end of the year, you come out on top. For me, my OCD does not allow for that to be a successful process. So what I did was I factored and I saved every penny. That way, at the end of my year, I can go self-fund and I have money in the bank and then I don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. It's just there. But also having the factoring in the background as an option, fantastic option. I mean, listen, if I onboard an account and it's a large account, say a million dollar credit line and I don't want to fund that, I go to a factoring company and say, Let's be friends again. They're happy to take that money. They, they see mm-hmm. the revenue. As long as they're not a, a risk factor, they're never going to say no to that. Yep. So yeah, You're exactly right. But yep. yeah, working capital in, in a brokerage, it's you got that funding gap. You, you, you said it 21 days and 30 days. I have a, a good You know, it's, it's tough. I have a good friend of mine who's owed $2 million by a very large company. And if they don't yep. make a payment to him, he's going out of business. He just let a few of his employees go. Mm-hmm. It was more than 50% of his business. Um, and I feel absolutely terrible for him, but it was his largest account. It was a fantastic account for a few years. Two million bucks is a lot of money. And the sad part is a lot of that is owed to carriers. So now not only is he not getting paid to feed his family, his credit rating is getting rocked rocked, due to no fault of his own. Now he could have insured his receivables, which he didn't know about. You can always Mm -hmm. buy insurance on your receivables. So there's that piece of it too, but everyone's got their hand in the cookie jar. Like everybody, they, they do. It's something that we were talking about double brokering. We're always talking about that side, uh, the, the risk to that side of the equation. Yep. You know, I, I don't think we really talk about customer risk as much as we right. really should, because right. that, as you said, that that will sink you. And and I know a lot of people who have been in that same exact position where yep. their number one customer isn't paying for yeah. whatever reason. Uh, it could be slow paying. It could be they're in financial troubles themselves. Yeah. And that'll bring down your entire business. I'm going to tell you right now, December, while it was a good month, was one of the most stressful months for me because some of my customers came real close to that 90-day pay. And with a factoring company that's recourse, at that 90 days, you start getting charged back. You're not only getting charged back what they paid you, you got to give back what the carrier got paid. 
And yep. so if you don't save all of that money to make sure that you have a nest egg to cover that, your reserves are never going to be enough to cover that stuff. Yep. And throughout the year, my days to pay averaged between 32 and 41 religiously. Came October, it was 45. Come November, it was 55. December, across all business units, it was 66 days. And so that painted a picture of, well, it's the economy. I get it. Mm-hmm. They're not getting paid from their vendors. I get it. But it also is that they wanted to fluff their year-end P&L to make sure on paper they looked good. Yep. I'm a small brokerage, and I'm not going to lie to you when I say I picked up the phone and I said, listen, sorry, TQL, sorry, C.H. Robinson. They can afford that twenty grand hit. Jason cannot, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're going to be deciding who's getting paid and who isn't, look at the small mom and pops, yep. right? Like that could put us out of business, and if I didn't have money in my reserves to pay my carriers, if that you know came back on me, the downline is carriers get screwed, I get screwed. If I had employees, they get screwed. Mm-hmm. All because the company wanted to be greedy to make sure their numbers look legit. Yep. Listen, I, I get the name of the game, but don't think for a second I'm not on your phone. I'm on your phone right now going, listen, I was there when you needed me. I just need you to pay your bills, right? I mean, it's not I hard. I know, really. Hey, Jason, thanks for um, coming by, dropping by, put that coffee down. Uh, this audio episode that you can download anywhere that you download your, your podcast, you can give us a rating. Please do leave some comments. Uh, Low Boy Enterprise or Low Boy Industries. Yes, sir. Dot com. Yep. Is that where the apparel that, that's where you yeah, go? That's where the apparel is. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. A lot of meaty stuff. A lot of meaty stuff there. There is. There's a lot of meaty stuff. Lowboyindustries.com, and you can find Jason, of course, on LinkedIn. Uh, He's always on there. So, um, again, thank you very much. Kevin, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. You bet. And that wraps up for this episode of Put That Coffee Down.